says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. And Father, we humbly pause as we continue now in our worship of you and your son Jesus, just asking for the help of your Holy Spirit who inspired the word of God to just help us now interpret it and to receive what you would want to say to each one of us personally through your Holy Scripture. We ask, Lord, that you would prepare us each accordingly. You know what that means. So, Lord, we pray, give us an ear to hear and a heart to receive. And we pray that your spirit now would be our teacher and that he would speak to each one of us in a personal and a direct way through your word. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, let me read you a definition and I'll give you an opportunity as I read that definition to not call out, but in your mind, see if the word comes to you when I read this definition. The power or ability without using controlling force to cause an effect upon another person's thoughts or behavior. The word that that's defining there is the word influence. Influence is the power or ability without using controlling force to cause effect upon another person's thoughts or another person's behavior. And the book of 2 Timothy, which we begin this morning and will continue to work our way through, is basically a New Testament letter about the subject of influence. We'll see that as we go through it. We'll see in this book that how we can influence others toward God, how we can be an influence toward others, how to live for God and live godly. We'll see how to recognize and avoid unhealthy influences that might pull us away from God or cause us to no longer walk with God or perhaps be sidetracked and led away from God. We'll also see in this book what things we can do that will help influence us toward a closer walk with God and what would help us to be influenced to serve the Lord more faithfully. The theme of this book, if you kind of like to have one as you go through it, some of them are not as obvious as you go through the Word of God, but I do believe that the Spirit of God as He gave to us different books in the Scripture, letters and so forth, a lot of times there's sort of a, a theme or a few themes that weave their way through that particular book. I think the theme of Second Timothy is an encouragement to keep faithfully living for Christ yourself, irregardless or regardless, even during those times when maybe others around you may not be. So if there's collective spiritual failure in your family or among your friends or even in your church, that you can continue still to remain faithful as an individual walking with Jesus yourself. See, we all have an individual responsibility and a choice if or when we're faced with that kind of situation to still do what is right, maybe even when other people may do what's wrong. 
Uh, we have a personal choice. Maybe every friend is doing what's wrong. We can still do what's right. Maybe everyone in our family is doing what's wrong. We can still choose to determine to do what's right. And we'll see a lot of this exemplified in this letter, that it's possible to remain spiritually faithful yourself even amidst corporate spiritual failure. And I think you'll see this book has a lot of fitting truths and lessons in it that really apply certainly to the time that we're currently living in. First Timothy is basically a letter that Paul writes one of what we call these pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. 1 Timothy, the focus of that book is really instruction from God how to manage the operations of the church. Uh, and it really gives a lot of explanation how things ought to be handled and, and the functions and how to manage the operations of the church. 2 Timothy, which we're going to look at together, is a letter about God's instruction how to manage your own Christian life. So 1 Timothy, how do you manage the church? What's God's design for the church and its functions? 2 Timothy, God says, this is how you're to manage your Christian life, irregardless of what may or may not be going on within the church. You still have that role. I still have that responsibility. The background, which helps as we begin a new letter together, Paul, at the time of this writing, is during the midst of his second imprisonment for preaching the gospel faithfully. And this time, Paul's not under house arrest, but unfortunately, he finds himself in a cold, dark, unpleasant, damp, uh, underground, dungeon-like situation, the Mamertine dungeon, and he is awaiting trial, of which we know now from church history, this trial Paul's awaiting in this dungeon-like condition where it's unhygienic and dark and smelly and filthy in its conditions. He's awaiting a trial that we know from history would result in Paul actually being beheaded and executed. So as we read 2 Timothy, we basically know this is Paul's last letter, very likely, that was ever written before his death. So we find Paul here expressing his heart because he senses the time of his departure is at hand. He knows his time on earth is limited, that he's about to die and go and be with the Lord and be removed from this earth. And he chooses, this is what's interesting, not to write another letter to a church, but he chooses to write out spiritual truths to just one individual Christian. And to do what he can to influence one individual person who he has a relationship with and to share some truths that would help a person as he pours out his heart before he's removed from this earth. Sharing with great intimacy and personal desire with this young man, Timothy, that Paul had developed a bond and a relationship with. And, and I say that for this reason. Take note, he's influencing one individual really well. And that's how he chose to spend a limited amount of time. When Paul came to a place where he realized, I have a limited amount of time here, what his focus was, not trying to reach a mass of people, he thought, hey, I have a limited amount of time, my time is short, and he chose to use it to influence an individual to impact one person in a very powerful way. And in this letter of 2 Timothy, we basically get Paul's dying words. And you know as well as I do that typically somebody's dying words are not trivial. 
you've perhaps been by a relative's bedside as you were waiting for them to go home and meet the Lord and it was kind of obvious their condition was terminal I have as well as a pastor I spend a lot of time doing that unfortunately at times maybe waiting for somebody's loved one to pass and I'll tell you when somebody is about to depart from this earth their conversations usually aren't trivial anymore they're talking about things that really matter to them and that they want to matter to individuals so what does a spiritual giant like Paul the Apostle talk about and say and share what matters to him at this point in his life before he dies really these are the truths that are given to us in second timothy at this time caesar nero is ruling this is our setting there's an intense persecution against christianity which means at this point in time historically suffering is intense for christians it's not easy to serve the lord there's a lot of temptation in an ungodly worldly environment it's a time in church history when it's very difficult to be a faithful believer in jesus christ this is the setting and many among the church were falling away from the things of god in the midst of these difficulties people were turning aside christians were becoming cold in their commitment to christ church leaders were making concessions and compromising so that they could conform to the patterns of the world rather than be faithful to sound doctrine and people are turning away so the question becomes this what does the christian do in those times do we find ourselves saying, well, I guess we might as well just accept the new spiritual norm? I mean, this is kind of just how the church is going to be now. This is how Christianity is going to be now. I guess we're just all going to... And, and, or does the Christian just give up and give in? Second Timothy is going to say, absolutely not. Second Timothy, by the inspiration of the Spirit, is going to say, you hold fast. It's going to say, uh, you, know, you press on as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You continue to remain diligent and show yourself approved. You continue to live godly in Christ Jesus, even if you do suffer persecution for it. It's going to say to us, fight the good fight of faith and finish the race and keep the faith. Well, as was common as you open letters, typically the introduction of whose writing comes first. Look with me in verse 1 as we go through this. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus so the first thing we see is who God's using to write this letter of spiritual influence that helped Timothy as well as helps any of those who would read it as well and the one who's writing it we see under the Spirit's inspiration is Paul and notice Paul refers to himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ and whenever we read that term apostle Understand that word apostle is a term that speaks of a sent one, particularly one who is sent with authorization or sent with authority, an authorized person, maybe from a throne or someone who authorizes someone and sends them forth in their power and in their authority. So Paul was one sent out with the authority, notice, of Jesus Christ. He was someone commissioned by the throne of God, by the Lord Jesus himself, to fulfill the purposes of the Lord, sent out to perform and establish works for his king, the Lord Jesus, that he wanted accomplished. And Paul was sent as an ambassador 
to do that. In a strict sense, the word apostle, that office, of course, refers to a few select individuals described in the New Testament that were really chosen by Jesus to establish the New Testament church, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The Bible tells us the church was built upon. These were individuals authorized by Jesus to establish the early church in its function and its, its doctrine and so forth, to provide spiritual oversight and guidance and instruction. So we see Paul being one of these individuals, an apostle sent out by Jesus to preach the gospel to plant churches, to establish new works, uh, to pastor churches, to teach doctrine and provide oversight and spiritual guidance to churches that were established in the name of Jesus. And we see how this happened. Paul says that he was an apostle, verse 1, look at it there in the text, by the will of God. In other words, Paul was not self-appointed. This was not something that he, like a young person, decided, well, that sounds like a good career choice. Let me go to a school and, and I think I'll become an apostle or a pastor. That, this wasn't what happened. Paul says, this is what I became by the will, the wish, the determination of God. So what Paul is clearly saying is, is he establishes certainly his credential as an apostle. He's saying, look, I am what I am because this is what God determined I would be. This is what God selected me to do. This was what by his divine prerogative he wished for the role or the function of my life. That's the only reason I am what I am. Uh, and so Paul here understood this is what Jesus wanted for him. This is what God selected him to do. Other places he says an apostle by the commandment of God. In other words, God commanded me to do this. I'm just obeying God. But this is the idea here that Paul understood that he had been chosen and selected by God for this role and for this particular function by God's will. In fact, in Acts 26, as Paul's recounting his own experience of being called by the Lord into ministry, uh, he recounts what Jesus said to him. Let me read you Jesus's words to Paul. When Paul received his commission, Jesus said to Paul, stand on your feet for I've appeared to you for this purpose to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Well, see, Paul had heard that from the Lord, and that's why Paul says here, with a measure of confidence, yes, but humility as well, by just saying, I'm an apostle, but it's just by the will of God. It's just by the will of God. Point being, he had simply accepted in humble faith and just became comfortable with embracing what God had chosen for him to be by God's will and determination. That's why Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15.10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And he just kind of come to that place. He wasn't overconfident. He wasn't feeling bad. or He just, I am what I am by the grace of God. That, that's all. It was by God's grace. It was what God chose. I'm just being obedient to what he wanted. The reason he's given that authority, we're told in the end of verse 1, and sent forth by the Lord, was he was sent forth according to the promise of life 
which is in Christ Jesus. That is to declare or offer to people the promise of life, the guarantee from God of life. And of course, that promise of life is a promise of eternal life, the promise of everlasting life that God extends to people freely through Christ. We might say the opportunity to experience heaven freely as a gift from God, a promise that God offers and extends to people. And notice, where is the promise of eternal life found or obtained? Paul says it is in Christ Jesus. So the source of experiencing everlasting life, the place where a person can experience the promise or receive the promise of eternal life or going to heaven after we die is from Jesus Christ. It's a gift that is personally given from the person of God's Son, the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6.23 says, The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice, the gift of God. What was God's gift? Well, Jesus said God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And he said, and God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world through him, but that the world might be saved through him, through Jesus. So God seeing humanity in our sinful condition and that our sin separates us from God, it makes us guilty in a just way before God's judicial throne not wanting us to be punished eternally, but wanting us to be forgiven and have relationship with God and have access into heaven, God had to make a way. He made that way by sending Jesus who lived the sinless life that we don't live and then who died substitutionally in our place. He sacrificed and died on the cross for our sins, took the punishment and the penalty for our wrongdoing, then rose again the third day and being the one back to life. And now Jesus ruling over sin and death and eternity can offer the gift of God himself, his eternal life to us if we receive it. It's the gift of God, which is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. But notice, it's a gift. You don't work for it. The wages of sin is death. What we earn or deserve for our sin is the payment is, is death, eternal death and damnation. But eternal life is a gift. You can't earn heaven. You can't do enough religious works or good. That, if that was the case, then, then in a sense, you're making a mockery of why God sent his son. Well, why would God send Jesus if you could just do enough or I could just do it? It's a gift. It's something that must be recognized. I have to receive this from God. I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. I, I can't merit it. I can't, I, there's nothing I can do, but I must humbly say, God, I need to receive your gift of eternal life and that eternal life is received by receiving Jesus because he's the one who possesses eternal life because he's the eternal son of God so it's when we receive Jesus that we receive that so it's freely received but the point is also it must be received a gift must be received somebody can offer you a gift and you could say I, I realize it's for me you paid for it and it's got my name on it but if you say no thank you you can reject the gift so you must receive it and open it to actually experience it. And that's why it's necessary to receive Jesus. The Bible says God's given us eternal life. That life is in his son. He who has the son has life. And he who does not have the son of God does not have life. The simplicity 
of how we know if we're going to heaven or we know if we're going to go to hell. It's, it's, it becomes our choice whether or not we receive what God freely offers to us in Jesus. And Paul was made an apostle by the will of God and sent out, it seems, predominantly to be an influence for God and to offer to people that experience of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. And today, let me just say, though in a strict sense, yes, Paul held the office of an apostle. An apostle is a sent one with the authority and the endorsement of the Lord. I believe that God today wants to use all of us as Christians. And, and the spirit of Christ dwells within you if you know Jesus. And the Lord wants to send you out and send me out. He said to us, go into all the world. Preach the gospel, make disciples. And I believe today he wants to send you and I out divinely authorized from his throne to have spiritual influence in our world. The question that we just need to ask is simply this. What are you by the will of God? Paul was an apostle by the will of God. What are you by the will of God? Maybe you're an encourager by the will of God. Maybe you're a Sunday school teacher by the will of God. Maybe you're someone that's a helper and a servant by the will of God. Maybe you're a gas station attendant by the will of God. Maybe you're a business person amongst a corporate environment by the will of God. That there might be salt and light in that business community. Maybe you're a faithful mom by the will of God and that's your predominant calling right now. But to just simply discover and know, hey, this is what I am. By the will of God. This is what God's called me to be as a Christian. And, and I can accept that. And therefore, I understand what my mission field is. I understand where my place I'm supposed to influence and try and do exactly what Paul did, which is two things. Be there to be able to offer people the promise of life through Jesus that you know about and to be able to be an influence upon people and individuals by investing in them like Paul did in Timothy. So next we see who Paul's sending the letter to, which is in verse 2. He's sending it, of course, to Timothy, who notice he calls a beloved son. So Paul's in the last days of his life in unpleasant conditions, but instead of being miserable and self-absorbed, he tries to be a very meaningful person saying, look, my time on earth is limited. I know that now. But he wants to be as helpful to as many people as he can. And he takes the time again to not instruct, notice, a church, but to give helpful spiritual insights as he writes these things down for one young man who he really wanted to influence to live faithfully for Christ. So who was Timothy and what was his relationship to Paul? Uh, we're told here in verse one, Paul calls him a beloved son. It's a term of affection endearing terms the idea is is someone who's a dearly loved son timothy had become like a spiritual son to paul and paul had become therefore like a father figure in timothy's life in young timothy's life there's about a 30 year gap in age between these two individuals uh, and we know from acts chapter 16 as paul was traveling on his missionary journeys he came through timothy's town the area of lystra uh, where this young man was, Timothy, who meets, who has a relationship with the Lord. The Bible tells us his mother was a believer. His father, it seems, perhaps was not a believer. And Timothy, this young disciple who had a relationship with Christ, was well spoken of by the people. So he had a good reputation as a young man, as a follower of Christ. Paul takes a liking to him develops a heart for this young man, sees potential in him. So he invites Timothy along to join him 
in his missionary activities and to become a part of his ministry team to serve. Timothy kind of becomes Paul's apprentice, you might say. Paul, Paul was training him and coaching him and helping to develop him. He was discipling him as a younger man and kind of became like his mentor. And he starts to learn how to do ministry from Paul the Apostle by observation, being by his side, as well as by participation as Paul entrusted to him opportunities to get involved and, and at times letting him do works and responsibilities. And ultimately, we start to see as Timothy develops, Paul starts to send Timothy out as an extension of his own ministry at times. We read of Paul's words towards Timothy in Philippians 2. Paul says, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly that I may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded, he began to catch Paul's vision, who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things of Christ Jesus, but you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he has served with me in the gospel. So these two became so bonded and connected, Paul began to send him out. And we know from 1 Timothy chapter 1, that at this point, historically, Paul has asked Timothy to remain in the city of Ephesus to pastor a church there that Paul had planted. And he now asks Timothy to remain there and to pastor that church and care for the people. And it had been a very difficult ministry there in the city of Ephesus. And so Paul now writes this second letter because he's concerned and he wants to encourage and inspire Timothy as this young protege and man who he had worked together with and invested in. And, and I love that the Bible gives to us this picture of this relationship, this bond between this older Christian man and this younger Christian man. This beautiful connection, this close father-son relationship, this deep love that became between them. And I just want to say this morning, before I move on, that is a great example, this Paul-Timothy illustration God gives to us in the Bible. That is a great example that I believe we need to seek to duplicate more in our culture. It is a very healthy thing to both have a Paul in your life and to look for a Timothy in your life. It's a very wonderful thing as a, as a Christian to have a, a spiritual father figure, if you would, a spiritual mother figure, if you would, just someone in your life who keeps you accountable and they speak into your life and kind of hold the line with you and they can help you and counsel you and kind of just mentor you and guide you along spiritually with their maturity. And it's also wonderful too, I think, as a Christian to find someone or perhaps find a few who are younger than you, whether it's chronologically younger or maybe just less spiritually mature, just younger in the Lord, that you can seek to invest in them and sort of mentor and disciple them spiritually. It's a very, very beautiful thing. Well, Paul extends his greeting there in verse 2 as well and kind of pronouncing the blessing over Timothy's life to express what he hoped for him. He says, Timothy, I hope for you grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and our Jesus Christ, our Lord. Again, grace is that undeserved favor and kindness of God where God is good to us and blesses us. Though we don't deserve it, he still extends it. It speaks of how God is kind to us in our weakness. The, the term mercy speaks of God's patience and compassion that's extended by not giving to us what we do deserve. See, justice is getting what you do deserve. Mercy is not getting 
what you do deserve. And God is merciful with us. He shows restraint and patience and kindness despite our failures. And peace, the term Paul uses there, is a term that speaks of the state of calm or tranquility, the absence of conflict or agitation. And the Bible teaches us that through Jesus and his work and and his forgiveness, we can make peace with God and know it's well with our soul. And then once we start to walk with Jesus and have a relationship with God, we can start to experience the peace of God. That is the inner calm despite the storms of life that you can experience the peace of God in your life. And, and notice this comes from God the Father and his son Jesus Christ. So how do you experience grace and mercy and peace? It's through a relationship with the Lord. It's through those things, those things come into our lives. What's interesting is typically Paul's greetings in his letters are usually, if you're familiar with the New Testament, he usually just says, Grace and peace, grace and peace. What's insightful is that when he writes the pastoral letters to those in ministry, he inserts the word mercy in there. And I think that's probably because Paul knew better than anyone, those serving in ministry really need God's mercy. (laughs) For two reasons. Because they're human beings themselves and they're Christians before they're ministers. They're Christians before they're servants of Christ. And so they're confronted with their own failures and human weaknesses. And so they need people to give them mercy still and let them be Christians still. And they need as well at times to give mercy and receive mercy to themselves so they don't become over condemned and think, oh, well, boy, I made a mistake. I guess I can never serve God again. But rather to realize that God's merciful and that God's gracious and we shouldn't stop serving the Lord and be condemned just because we faltered or failed in some way. And also those in ministry need mercy because they need mercy for the people they minister to because people are sheep. And when you spend time loving and serving and trying to invest in people and influence people, you're going to get let down. You're going to get hurt. People are going to falter and blow it and fail. And so you need a lot of mercy if you're going to seek to serve people. Paul then goes on, verse 3, saying, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. So as Paul starts to address Timothy now with some words of encouragement opening a letter we see a few ways here that Paul was seeking to actually be an influence for good in Timothy's life. Three things, particularly in verse 3 and 4, we can take note of, all of which I think are good lessons for us if we want to be people who are going to have a good or godly influence on other individuals in our lives around us. The first thing we take note of in these verses is that Paul maintained a stable walk with God so that he could be a strong example and a strong influence. He maintained a stable walk with God himself so that he then could be a stable and strong influence and example to another. Notice in verse 3, referring to his own life, he says there, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience. Point being this, Paul served God himself before he tried to serve other people. (laughs) He made sure he was serving God himself, walking with God personally as a man. He didn't just speak about God to Timothy and tell Timothy how to do godly things. He showed it. He lived it out in front of him. In fact, that's what gave him the credibility to then talk about it. 
He served God himself. He said, I serve God with a pure conscience. That speaks of his personal life, that it was godly and upright. He had a clean conscience. And again, when the Bible speaks of our conscience, it's referring to that moral compass that God has created and put inside the soul of every human being that helps us from the inside as God testifies to it. It's where God speaks to us to be able to discern what is morally and spiritually right and wrong to keep us from going the wrong direction and to help us to go in the right direction. That, the, the conscience is like an internal judge inside of you that, that helps you determine what's proper and improper because your conscience evaluates what you're doing and what's going on and then it testifies to you as God's speaking to your conscience, it testifies to you with that inner voice, hey, this is proper. This is not proper. This is right. This is wrong. And it's important that we learn to pay attention to the condition of our conscience and keep it working properly because that's where God testifies to us in our conscience. And notice Paul says here that he served God with a pure conscience. The idea is with a clean conscience, an undefiled conscience. It means he was serving God faithfully with integrity. He wasn't living in compromise he wasn't telling Timothy all the right things and how to do things right and saying things to Timothy, but then living in contradiction himself. He wasn't publicly and outwardly saying this is what's right and what's moral and, and behaving in one way in public and then in his personal life or private life living in contradiction to that and doing things that were defiled and were not appropriate. He was living with integrity. He was a genuine servant of God. His personal life was solid and stable. Paul was a true man of God. He was a genuine servant of God. And listen, that solid and stable spiritual walk that Paul had is what made him be a powerful influence for God. It's because he had a stable spiritual life, because he was a solid, faithful servant of the Lord himself. That's what made him a powerful influence for God. Listen, for our lives, by way of application, in order to have a healthy and ongoing influence upon another person, we have to first live right ourselves. If you want to start having an influence or continue having an influence, you got to live right yourself first because it's out of the basis of that that you then become a good tool to be influential. This is very important because look, remember this, example is powerful. Example is powerful. It is an incredible way to in, be influential much stronger than words because we all know anyone can say words. Who hasn't before had somebody tell us that they love us to find out that you said it, but the words didn't really mean what was being... Anybody can say the right words on any subject, but look to live it. To truly live it and let your life demonstrate what is true and let your life prove out what is real, that's authenticity and sincerity that nobody can deny. So example, therefore, becomes a very powerful thing. Personal example is impacting because people will observe our lives and if they observe the way we live... That's really influential. Paul's going to say in the third chapter of this letter, you know my manner of life. And he calls to attention, Timothy, you know how I live. 
And that was very influential. Now, on the other side of that, in the same way example is powerful, please hear me, hypocrisy is very detrimental. Very detrimental. And it will be one of the strongest things to cripple your influence, to spoil your ability to be effective in influence. Because if you're guilty in your conscience, you are not going to ever have any sense of internal strength to try and lead other people. If you have a guilty conscience because of what you're doing or how you are living privately or personally, it's going to render you pretty powerless to speak with confidence to people or to try and lead with confidence because you're going to be plagued with feeling like an utter hypocrite. And so it's, I mean, I hate to use the term, it's graphic, but it's going to somewhat render you impotent spiritually. It's going to castrate your ability to have an impact on other people if you've got a guilty conscience you need to reconcile the guilty conscience first by getting things right and then you'll begin to develop a, a confidence to want to be influential and you'll feel good about what you're saying and speaking and the example that you're using. And again, by the same token, if you are not just wrestling with something privately with a guilty conscience, but if you're saying right things, but then you're living in compromise and people are aware of your compromise and they see the contradiction of speech and the way that you live, I'm t that, that ruins your cred right there. I mean, just your ability to have an effect is going to be very minimal because people are going to shut off. They're going to have no respect for you. And they're really going to be more stumbled more than anything. So Paul was a stable spiritual man himself. That's one way he was influential. Another thing we see from verse 3 and 4 is that Paul also, secondly, prayed for Timothy consistently. Do you want to have example? Here's a way Paul had or influence, excuse me. Paul prayed for Timothy consistently. That's how he had great influence in his life as well. Do you see what he says, verse 3? He says, without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers day and night. And to pray is simply to ask God for his help and involvement in a situation. And there's nothing better that you and I can do to help somebody else than to ask God to get involved in their life. To ask God, listen, to be the strongest influence in their life. Often we want to change people and we want God to love people. God, I know what needs to change in their life. I live with them. I know what needs to change. You love everybody. You're God. Let me change them. And God says, no, no, no. You can love everybody. You can't change anybody. You love people. It's my job to change people. And that comes back to, well, what do I do then? Well, what did Paul do? He said, Timothy, I remember you my prayers day and night. He asked for God's involvement in Timothy's life. And when he says day and night, doesn't mean he prayed 24-7. It means whenever Timothy came to Paul's mind, he just lifted up a prayer for him. He interceded for him and asked God to work in his life. Paul was limited in what direct influence he could have on Timothy's life, and he understood that. They could not always be together circumstantially. And there may be people we love and we want to influence, but you can't be with them all the time circumstantially. Well, my kids went off to school. My influence was... Ooh, limited for 70 hours a day. I couldn't be with them when they started hanging out with friends. You can't be with them all the time, but I could influence them all the time. Lord, if they're doing something they shouldn't, I pray make them utterly miserable. <laughs> my wife is a master. Lord, make them get caught. Please make them get caught. I mean, not, not that my kids were wild or rebel, but we, you pray those things as a parent. 
Lord, help them to make good decisions. Help them to, to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. Help them when they're tempted with things to overcome temptation and not be swayed by their friends. Help them to be an influence, Lord. And again, we can influence them in these ways. And Paul understood that God's influence on a life is the most powerful influence. And how does that influence come? Predominantly by praying for people. I tell you, listen, there is no greater power of influence in a person's life than to be committed to pray for them. To be committed to pray for them. To, to pray that God would be working in their life and regularly helping them with their challenges, helping them make decisions and empowering and strengthening them. Pray, it is your greatest effort of influence. It's the one ministry that cannot be interrupted. It is the most pure and really the most potent form of influence in your husband's life, your wife's life, your children's life, other Christians that you care about and people that you love. Thirdly, the other way we see Paul had influence in verses 3 and 4 is that he openly expressed his appreciation and his love towards Timothy. Notice, he openly expressed his appreciation and his love for Timothy. He says, verse 3 about Timothy, Timothy, I thank God for you. And then in verse 4, he says, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. So he indicates to Timothy. Timothy says, I remember you and I thank God for you. And he says, I remember, I'm mindful of your tears. I remember last time we were separated and the tears that were streaming down our face because we didn't want to be separated circumstantially. But yet it was part of God's will for both of them that for a time they would be separated circumstantially. That was just part of God's will for Paul and part of God's will for Timothy. But yet it was difficult. They loved each other and it was hard being away. They missed each other and the tears. Paul says, I remember the tears. He's like, Timothy says, I, want to, I greatly desire to see you that I can be filled with joy. Timothy, when we're together, it brings me so much joy because it's such a blessing to live with you and serve with you and, and ha have time together with you. And, and listen, how hearing those things, would you agree? That must have really blessed Timothy's heart. To hear his spiritual father saying these things. And listen, how powerful and uplifting when somebody hears us express to them how much we care about them, that we appreciate them, and that we express at times words of our love and appreciation towards them because that causes a person to feel secure. And not only that, it inspires someone that their life has value and a lot of times it gives them a standard to to achieve it kind of at times when they feel your words of appreciation and you tell them things like that they want to make you proud and they want to strive on and they want to keep going and it encourages them and it's wise for us to exercise this example of being influential that paul does here by speaking words of appreciation to people in our lives and expressing that we care about people but you know that old adage oftentimes people don't know how much I want to care how much but you know until they know how much you care. And once they realize how much you care, then they do want to hear what you know. And so as you seek to influence someone, don't just try and preach at them. Show them you love them and tell them you love them and speak encouraging words and together with that impart words of influence and encouragement and counsel and investment in their lives. Well, verse 5, Paul identifies one other powerful influence in Timothy's life. Let's look at it. He says, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that's in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. So Paul, notice, identifies one other powerful influence in Timothy's life, and it's simply this. He had godly relatives. 
who were shaping his life and investing into his spiritual development. He speaks of how he remembers being impressed, he says, verse 5 there, with Timothy's genuine faith. I like that. That means Timothy, as a young man, had his own genuine relationship with Jesus. He wasn't just playing church, sitting in church, doing the spiritual outward works so that he could be like his Christian family. Timothy really had his own relationship with Jesus. He really knew the Lord himself. He wasn't just going through the motions. He had encountered the Lord. But notice, that was due in part to the great influence and example of what? His godly relatives. Because he says, this faith that's genuine, it first dwelt in your mother and your grandmother. The idea there is Timothy was a third generation believer. That's where his genuine faith came from. It was first modeled by his grandmother and his mother and Timothy saw the genuineness of their relationship with Jesus and that's what encouraged him to ultimately embrace Jesus and walk with Jesus himself. Paul's going to say in chapter 3 of this letter in regards to Timothy, he's going to say, continue in the things you've learned and been assured of from your childhood. You've known the Holy Scriptures. I like that. That means his grandmom and his mom from his childhood we're teaching him the scriptures, investing the word of God in him, cultivating his spiritual development. And they had no idea what they were preparing him for, to take over for Paul the apostle. They had no clue as they were just trying to help young Timothy know God, love Jesus and walk with the Lord. Shows what an immeasurable value there is of godly relatives in our lives. Listen, if you have godly relatives in your life, a parent, a grandparent, appreciate it. It's your choice to choose to do, but appreciate it. And if you're a parent or a grandparent, listen, you have an opportunity that's incredible to have influence. Oh, I wanted to be a missionary. Oh, well, I wanted to be a pastor. Well, listen, you have a family? You have a few friends? You have a few relatives? A cousin, aunt, uncle, grandparent, granddaughter, or grandchild? You have an incredible opportunity for influence. To be connected, we ought to try to the best of our ability to capitalize on providing godly influence, particularly to our children, surrounding them. And let me just say, again this morning, never devalue the ministry of a mother to be able to have an impact and cultivate the spiritual development of her children in ways like this. The question should arise, and it does in my mind, why is there no mention here of Timothy's dad? of nothing of the spiritual contribution or investment. Well, from Acts 16, it appears that Timothy's dad was not a believer. It says his mother was a believer, his grandmother was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And if Timothy's father did get saved at some point, and that's possible, maybe he did, if he got saved at some point, apparently, even if he got saved at some point, he probably wasn't very devoted spiritually. And I say that for this reason, I think with a fair measure of credibility, because here the Holy Spirit of God is clearly commending godly spiritual influence that impacted Timothy's life, and God remains silent about Timothy's father. He commends the mother, he commends the grandmother, but God remains silent about the father, which seems that the father's influence was very minimal. And let me just say this, just think, if godly Timothy developed spiritually to the place where he did because of the powerful influence of a godly grandmother and a godly mother, how much more if a godly man, a father figure in his life 
had invested into him and had sought to influence him with the strength of a father. Isaiah 38 says, The father shall make known God's truth to the children. My challenge to those of us who are men in this room, if you are a grandfather, a, a, a father, or even just a man who can be a father figure, how well are we doing? The influence that we can have that God has given to us opportunity for. I may fail at everything else that I do in life to try and influence the world, and I'm fine with that. But if I influence a few people, particularly my three daughters, towards the things of God, I'm ready to die, man. I'm okay with that. Hey, there is no greater way that you can be an influence than to encourage another person to follow Jesus. You say, well, I, I want to be an influence. Where do I start? Here it is. It's really complicated. Just look around you. <laughs> Who do you work with? Who do you live with? Who are you connected to? That's the greatest place to start. Shall we stand together?